will not go pop, I will not go soft When I say no means no This is true hip hop, I do not flip flop When I say flow mean flow This is perseverance This is perseverance Welcome, we've got a very special episode of Makers Weekly this week I sit down with the creator of the song we're listening to Hit rapper, creative entrepreneur, and Oxford-educated Twitter personality, Zuby. Zuby talks about his creative process for his new album, Perseverance. We discuss how he sold thousands of records through pure hustle in a very controversial video he posted, which almost shut down the internet. So without further ado, let's welcome Zuby. Zuby, thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, really looking forward to, to hearing your story um, and what you've been up to lately. Do you mind giving us a quick background on, on how you got into hip-hop? I see you have an Oxford education. doesn't seem like the typical means into the rap game, so would, would kind of love the backdrop. Yeah, sure thing. So, um, so yeah, I'm Zuby. I'm an you know independent, full-time professional rapper and creative entrepreneur. I started making music actually um, when I was in Oxford. So I went there to study computer science. And when I was in my first year, when I was 18 years old, I just started, um, I just started rapping for fun. The first lyrics I ever wrote were when I was stuck in an airport, I got stuck in an airport in, uh, France on my way to Nigeria from the UK. And I was stuck there for 24 hours. I didn't have much to do. I was all alone. I just had, um, my MP3 player and a notebook and a pen, and I just started writing some random lyrics. In terms of getting into hip-hop, I mean, I've been a hip-hop fan from about the age of 13 or 14, but that was the very first time once I was in university that I'd ever actually tried writing my own stuff, and I found that I had a knack for it. I had a sort of undiscovered talent, because um, even, you know, the very first stuff I wrote, it, was, it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. You know, I could I could look at it now and rap it, and I wouldn't be overly ashamed of it or anything like that. So <laughs> I picked it up pretty fast. And then when I was in my second year of university, when I'd been rapping for about nine months, I released my very first album, which was called Commercial Underground. And that got a really good response locally. You know, lots of local press picked up on it. BBC Radio Oxford played a couple of the tracks on there. I had a music video on TV. So that was kind of the that was kind of the light bulb moment in terms of it being a potential career avenue and a little bit more than just a hobby. Yeah, I mean, you you definitely got bars. I've been uh, I've been listening to your your music since I reached out to you um, about a month ago. So, awesome. but your 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 lyrics are are very positive. Like, you, I don't think you use any profanity. Um, very uplifting kind of point of view, which can be a little bit different than you know what you hear uh, with today's rappers. Do you, do you mind talking mm-hmm. about like some of your inspiration or or why you decide to uh, keep it cleaner than most most of the other hip hop artists out there? Yeah, sure thing. So my music is really just a reflection of me. Like I don't, I don't use profanity in real life. So as by extension, I don't use it in my music. It's just a, uh, it's the way I was raised. No, no one in my family uses profanity. Like it's just, um, it's always been off limits to my parents and myself and my siblings. So that's something that sort of stands out to a lot of people, but because that's kind of always been my life and I've, I've never used it. It's not really like a conscious decision. It's just like the, the, that vocabulary is just, just not there. So, um, but in terms of the content itself, again, it's, um, it's a reflection of myself, my life and the message I want to be putting out there to people. I've got a really broad range of people who listen to and enjoy my music of all ages, all backgrounds, things like that. And, you know, there's a lot of young people who listen to my stuff and, I think it's important to, you know, not just for young people, but everyone, just give people a positive message. There is so much 
negativity and, you know, just gratuitous nonsense, really, that's out there in a lot of hip hop music and other forms of entertainment and media. And I don't personally want to be I don't personally want to be adding to it. There's a lot of things that you can talk about. There are infinite subjects that you can put out there and, you know, put your thoughts out there. So I'm like, you know what, if I'm going to be if I'm going to be an artist, if I'm going to be a rapper, I would rather create art that uplifts people rather than music that, you know, fires them up to commit a crime or to be (laughs) to be violent or to sell drugs and make it sound like it's cool or anything like that. And also, that's just not my background. You know, I'm I I'm not going to be a gangster rapper because I'm not I'm not from the hood. Yeah. I didn't I didn't grow up in the hood. I didn't grow up in a ghetto. So if I came out and I started rapping all this gang banging stuff, I mean people will take one look at my resume and be like, Okay, this guy's a fraud. Whereas <laughs> with me, you know, it's like if you keep it if you are just authentic and you're true to yourself, which is what I try to be in everything, then it's like, you know, nobody can nobody can call you out for anything because it's like I've never in my ten plus years of making music, I've never once portrayed myself as, as something that I'm not or said that I've done anything that I haven't. So I don't worry about people, you know, running, running background checks and finding something out. You know what I mean? And also I think you, the energy that you put out there is what comes back. You know, a lot of, a lot of artists, you know, they'll go out there, especially in hip hop and they'll be putting out all this negative stuff. They'll be talking about all this, all this gun talk, talking about stabbing people, talking about shooting people, talking about, and it often comes back around to them. You know, because people test them, people come out and they're like, oh, is this person really, is this really what they're saying? And, you know, they'll end up getting involved in all these violent incidents or en- end up getting shot or going to prison or getting killed. And it's happened so many times, like it just keeps playing out. And it, I find it quite frustrating as a, as a hip hop fan and also as an artist. I'm just like, when are people going to kind of get the picture? You know, people say keep it real. But then it's like, well, if you're if you're rapping about all this, all that stuff. It, it's then kind of on you to potentially live up to it. Like yeah. people, people have this expectation, and then if people don't live up to it, then they're a fraud. And if they do live up to it, they get killed or they go to jail or whatever. And it's just like, it's just I don't know. There, there are so many other messages that can be put out there, and it doesn't matter someone's background. You can put out a positive, uplifting, introspective message. And I would, I do kind of wish more artists would do that. And I wish that, you know, both the fans and the radio stations and the whole kind of music industry infrastructure i would love it if they supported those kind of messages at least as much as they support some of the ones that are more um degenerate or self-destructive yeah i, I couldn't agree with you more it, it kind of reminds me of uh the latest that uh takashi 69 story did you hear about that so like he 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 said in his raps like a bunch he's like test my gangster he's he was almost like calling out his audience Mm. to try and con- come test him. And now he's, he's facing like life in prison. Um, it, yeah, it happens a lot. It ha- It's, there are so, there are so many artists that, you know, that same pattern has written out for, for the past 20, 25 years. It's, it's just, it, it keeps happening. And then when something bad does happen to someone, you know, everyone's suddenly in shock and acting surprised, but then two days later they go back to doing the same thing and it's just a very self-destructive cycle which i think is a shame yeah i think it's because it might be because that just feels like the playbook so when you have these up-and-coming rappers they look at the guys that came before them and they're just they're trying to follow that playbook you know of of Mm. being of being ghetto or saying they're from the hood or or trying to prove you know how how gangster they are yeah Um, i mean it it does work you know It, it does work to a degree I mean, for whatever reason, there is a there's a demand for it. You know, I look at a lot of things just in terms of economics, and I recognize that 
you know, people wouldn't be supplying it if people weren't buying and supporting it. But people do for whatever reason. I mean, that might be the bigger question to understand what it is in the human psyche that draws people to that kind of stuff. Yeah. But, um, you know, I mean, it's something I even question with myself sometimes, you know, if I'm like listening to a certain song or I'm, uh, you know, I don't play a lot of video games, but if I'm playing a certain video game or watching like a violent movie or something and a part of me is like, why am I, uh, I mean, I, I have a theory about this whole thing. I don't want to, I don't want to get off it, but, um, <laughs> yeah, I've, I mean, I, I have a theory about why that is the case, but it's interesting that, you know, us as human beings, I think especially as, especially as males, especially as guys, you know, you've just, there is this kind of draw to sex and violence and stuff that's a little bit edgy and gangster movies and all that kind of stuff that goes for music, books, video games, whatever. So I think as long as that demand is there, there will be people who, there will be people who supply it. So let's talk about where you go to find inspiration for this positive message. Um, you know, I've noticed just from listening to this latest album, I mean, you, you have a lot of lyrical content, you know, you're, you're like, I see rap kind of falls in two buckets. There's, there's the songs where people they're, they're doing, it's a, it's very repetitive. Um, and there's not really a lot of lyrical content, a lot of, you know, bars, say to speak, you're very much not the case. Um, mm. where do you go to draw inspiration and to, and to be able to continuously produce, um, content at this high of a level? Yeah. Well, th- firstly, thank you. I'm glad you appreciate that. Um, a lot of it is just based on living my life and having experiences and travel helps, you know, traveling, meeting different people, having conversations like this, just being out there in the world and doing things and talking to people and striving towards my dream. Every time I make a song or an album, especially, I want it to just be a snapshot of where I am at that point in time. So if you were to go back and listen to my first album or my second album, you'll get a glimpse of where I was at that time in my career and what was on my mind and what my ambitions were. And as I live life, as I get older, as I become more successful or better known or come across new challenges, that all comes across somehow in the music. It's a little bit of a tricky question to answer because there's not like, um, there's not sort of one thing that I do and then the inspiration comes. It is just living my life and, um, yeah, I then can listen to a track and reflect on that. Also, sometimes sometimes something will spark an idea. I mean, I might be having a conversation with somebody and, I don't know, something gets mentioned, like, say, what we were just talking about. For example, I could take that and that could come out in a song or a verse or a lyric somewhere where maybe I start, you know, I rap about why why is it that people are drawn to um, negative messages or violence or whatever, or why doesn't the positive music get as much shine like that? That whole thing could be a song in itself. You see what I mean? So you can kind of, you could kind of just take that and run with it. So yeah, just various, various conversations or sometimes you might just see something or overhear something and you're like, Oh, that's an interesting idea. I wonder if that could maybe work its way into a song. And sometimes the way I write my lyrics, sometimes it's hard to pinpoint what was the inspiration for it. But as I'm writing something that happened months ago might kind of pop back up into my brain. And then that somehow gets somehow gets integrated into the lyrics or whatever. Um, yeah. Or if I'm reading a certain book, something from that book might end up in the song. It's, it's just depends on what's going on at the time. Um, and you do all the production as well. Is, is that right? I do not. No, no, I don't produce. I don't produce. 
sorry, you know, my, my beats are made by different people. So I write all my lyrics. 100% of my lyrics are me. But uh, the, the beats and the instrumentals, those are done by different producers. I don't know. I wouldn't know even where to start with making a beat. I've never made a beat in my life. <laughs> nice. Well, then let's maybe, um, if you don't mind, share a little bit about you know the, your actual process of going from you have these ideas, you start capturing these lyrics. Like, what's the what's the step by step? You know, your kind of funnel to go from idea and concept to the point where you have you know a track or even an album ready mm-hmm. to to go prime time with. Okay. Well, first of all, I tend to write kind of in bursts. So I, I, I'm not someone who writes that frequently. I've always wanted to, and I, uh, every year I kid myself that I'm going to start writing lyrics every day and I never do it. I don't even write lyrics every week. I can go months on end without writing a single lyric, but then I can have a month where I write six songs. So I tend to kind of just go with the, go with the flow. Um, in terms of the process itself, I'll normally start with getting the instrumental or at least the basics of it from a producer. So because the instrumental kind of dictates to me how I'm going to rap, how I'm going to flow. It gives me the vibe for the song. If it's an aggressive, upbeat beat, I'm going to obviously make a very different song than if it's something that's more slowed down and introspective and down tempo. Yeah. So I start with the instrumental. And what I normally do is I just listen to it on repeat, either on speakers or in headphones, and I kind of I kind of just vibe out and freestyle to it. So mm-hmm. I just kind of mumble, like I don't even, I won't even necessarily like string words together. I'll just kind of think of how I'm gonna flow on the track to kind of get the get the vibe, and then I'll sit down and I'll actually put the I'll actually put the words to it. I normally actually type my lyrics. I don't normally write them down. I, I like type them. Which is um, <laughs> modern less, day, uh, yeah, modern, yeah, modern day. Um, I, I mean, I, I do both. Sometimes I'll I'll just write stuff on scraps of paper or in a notebook. But um, yeah, oftentimes I'll, I'll type them or I'll use like the Notes app on my phone, and um, I tend to write in quite sporadic bursts. So I'll write until like while I'm feeling the vibe, I'll write, and then if I if I get stuck or I'm not sure of a next lyric, I'll normally just leave it alone and. I'll come back to it the next day or I'll, I'll come back to it whenever. When What I find is that when I'm writing a song, I can. There's, I have a creative subconscious. So if I'm, say if I'm writing a song one evening and I kind of get stuck and I've got nothing, I, I can't think of the last couple lines to finish the song or whatever, what will often happen, I'll go away, I'll, I'll literally, I'll go to sleep, I'll wake up and it's just in my head. It's right there. Huh. So it's like my brain keeps working on songs in the background. Yeah. So I can start writing a song and then over time after like over the course of a week or whatever, the lyrics kind of just come. How do you go about sourcing the producers or the, the initial instrumentals that you start with? Cause it sounds like that kind of helps inspire or at least inform, you know, some of the, the beginnings of the creative process. Mm-hmm. How do you go about like finding, um, you know, finding that, that source input? Sure. So a couple different ways. So I've got um, a whole bunch of producers who I've, I've put out a lot of music in the past. So I've got lots of producers who I already know are good and I like their style and I know the kind of vibe they have. So sometimes I'll be looking for a certain type of beat. It might be a old school hip hop, hip hop beat. It might be a dubstep beat. It might be a more sort of trappy kind of beat. So I'll just go on their websites or I'll email them or whatever. And I'll just sit there and listen to a whole bunch of samples. I can just sit there and I'll listen to 50, 100, 
200 different instrumentals until something jumps out at me and then I'll get in touch with them. Other times I've had producers who there's producers who will just send me stuff. Yeah. So oftentimes people just, you know, just hit me up on social media and are like, yeah, I'd like to send you some beats. What's your email? And, um, in fact, I've got a whole bunch of beats in my inbox that I need to listen to. <laughs> so I'll just, I'll just, I just listen to stuff. And normally if I really like a beat, it'll jump out at me pretty fast. Um, cause lyrics will start coming to my head immediately. Yeah. So that's normally a sign for me that, yeah, that's, um, that's a beat that's going to be good for me because quite a lot of instrumentals, I can hear them. I can listen to beats and I can recognize that a beat is dope, but not every beat that's dope is necessarily for me. I hear a lot of tracks and I'm like, I like that beat, but I don't think I'm the right artist to do it justice. If that makes sense. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's really yeah, interesting. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I'll just listen to it and normally within 15, 20 seconds, if it's the right one, I'll just know because my I'll, I'll have like a physiological reaction. My head will start bopping. I'll just I'll start <laughs> you know I'll I'll already start be thinking of lyrics and flows of okay this is how I would rap to it and then that's normally when it's like okay cool yeah that that's the one that natural chemistry just kind of shows up exactly and then as it relates to actually putting down the tracks mm. um, so you have the instrumental the lyrics are complete do you go into a studio do you record you know at at your place or a space that you have or is it kind of different vary what what's that like so at the moment I um I don't have a studio set up in my home I can I record podcasts from my home but not actual music so I'll go to a studio I've got a, again I've got um a couple go-to studios that I use so Firstly, I I always memorize all my lyrics before I go to the studio. I hate rapping off of a piece of paper or off my phone or anything like that. So I always want all the lyrics. Normally, normally if I'm recording an album or an EP, in fact, I'll have the entire album memorized before I go to mm -hmm. the studio. So I'm not going in there with any pieces of paper or notebooks or anything. I just go in there and I can just stand in front of the mic, close my eyes and just rap the entire album. Um, wow. and I record pretty fast as well. Like I don't normally, I, when I can, I always try to one take my verses. So lots, I don't know if you're aware of this, but lots of rappers and singers, they record like one or two lines at a time. Yep. Um, I don't do that. I tend to just record nor most of my verses that you'll hear. Most of those, probably 80% of them are just done in one take. Like I just go in there, boom, one shot. And then that's it. If I mess up, take it from the top, I'll do it again. But, um, I avoid I avoid punching. It's called punching in when you when you do that line by line. I really avoid doing that unless it's something that's just so fast or intricate that there's no other way to do it. And it's also because I, I perform live as well. So I don't want to be doing stuff that I can't replicate in a live setting. So if you do that thing and you don't have the spaces where you're taking a breath or anything like that, then you'll get on stage and you won't actually be able to rap your own song because you kind of cheated when you did the studio recording. So I try to avoid that and, you know, just, and, and I think it, um, I just think it's also more natural and it, it's less, I, yeah, I just like to just do it to me. To me, it just feels more like being a proper rapper. It feels more authentic than doing the line by line thing to me that it kind of feels like cheating. And again, with my experience, I can hear when other rappers are doing it and I don't really I don't really like it. Like I can tell the rappers who record in one take and I can tell the rappers who record line by line mm -hmm. and cause it sounds different. Um, and then as it relates to post-production, do you work with the same producer that provided the beat or do you have like a local engineer that you work with 
or how do you how do you like put the polish on on the tracks or on the record? I gotcha. So the recording will be done with a local engineer. So once I've got the beat from the original producer, they're kind of they're kind of their job is done really. So I'll go to the studio. Um, at the moment, I record with my friend Jojo, who's based here in Southampton. So I'll go there. He'll record me. He'll also do the mixing and do like a, a light master on it. So he's he's a good jack of all trades. He can kind of take it from do the recording and then get it to the ready to release phase. He can do that all. Previously, I used to send my stuff off after being mixed for mastering separately. Okay, but he kind of does them all in one shot, um, which is super efficient. And um, yeah, it sounds good as well. And then once the um, you know once the the records complete or the songs complete or whatever the project is that you're working on at the time. How do you think about, you know, cause I have a conversations with people that are making all types of products and, you know, there tends to be like a go to market strategy. Mm. I don't know if that, that might've been like old school music industry. H- how do you think about, you know, obviously you've built quite a big social media following, but how do you think about going out and promoting? Is there a lot of, you know, uh, touring that's involved with that, or is it mainly an online strategy or, or how do you think about distribution? So for me, traditionally, what's always worked better for me is the real world stuff. Funnily enough, I mean, um, you know, I guess the majority of my followers these days, especially after some of the viral posts and stuff I've made, a lot of people kind of know me from the online world, but most of my real core music fans, certainly in the UK, most of them know me from real world activity, whether that's going out on the streets and promoting and selling my CDs like I've done with my previous albums. I mean, I've sold over 25,000 albums hand to hand. Really? Um, oh, yeah. Just hitting the streets and just, just hustling and telling people about, yeah. about what you've been up to? Yeah. I mean, I, and, and shopping malls now too. So in four years ago, I started a pop-up shop. So I go to different shopping malls all over the UK and I set up shops and I promote and sell my music and my merchandise inside the shopping malls. So I do stuff like that. Um, of course, I, I do live shows as well. But um, I think nothing beats nothing beats meeting someone in the real world. You know, it's great talking to people online, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. These are fantastic tools, but nothing beats a real world interaction. So with most of my most dedicated fans, like they've met me, you know, they they know me, you know, I know them by name. They know me by name. If I'm coming to their city, they'll come and they'll come and see me and say what's up. And if I'm doing a pop up shop, they'll come and they'll come and hang out. And you know, it's uh, <laughs> yeah, there's kind of like a, a blurry line between my my fans and my friends at certain levels. So great, yeah, it's cool. You know, I mean, I've been to, I've been invited to several of my fans' weddings. Um, I'm the godfather of one of my fans' kids. You know what I mean? Like, I've got um because of the way I've built stuff up really organically, and because I've done it all DIY. There are certain people out there who I think I just have like a super connection with, which yeah. I think would be really hard to develop just through Twitter or through uh, Facebook or whatever. So those tools are certainly useful and they're good for, you know, obviously there's no geographical restriction on those, which is fantastic. I mean, over the past year, my audience, especially in the USA, has grown massively. Like, you know, most of my podcast listeners in the USA most of my Instagram followers and Twitter followers are in the USA. So that's kind of um, starting to tilt a little bit. It wasn't like that previously. So it's cool. I mean, um, I'm, I'm very much an extrovert. Um, so I'm really good at talking to strangers and just going out there and networking or promoting or whatever. I'm not someone who likes to, feels the need to always hide behind the, hide behind the screen or the computer or something like that. I'm very much... Um, 
I'm very much a real world hustler. And I'm, I'm known for that. You are very outspoken on social media. Uh, I think mm-hmm. that's actually how I came across you. Um, your Twitter account is is a lot of fun to follow. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I, I've I mean, had a lot you, of people say that I'm their favorite favorite person on Twitter, which is funny. <laughs> I mean, you have you have a bunch of great ideas, and you literally you know pull no punches when it relates to some of the more controversial topics. Yeah. Um, and there was is one item I want to want to bring up just because it's so topical right now. So. You beat the women's deadlift record in the UK, um, and you ha- you put out a controversial video about about this on on YouTube, which is now just I think it's flying off the handle as it relates to <laughs> something going viral. Um, do you mind just touching on that briefly, just like a little bit about you know what you know what like prompted you to do that? What was what's behind that? Um, I think it'd be really interesting to get your get your take. Yeah, sure. So, um, so to anyone who's not aware, so I posted a video on the 26th of February, so literally about a month ago, um, of me doing a 230 kg deadlift. So about just over 500 pounds. Um, I can do a lot more than that, by the way. But um, it was just from one Which of my. Which is tra- insane, by the way. Just in general, <laughs> the fact that you can do that is, is pretty so, awesome. Uh, it was from one of my training sessions. And I put a caption saying that um, I identified as a woman whilst lifting the weight. So I'm now the new British women's deadlift record holder. Um, and then I put a little PS. Um, yeah, I identified as a woman. Don't don't be a bigot. And I, I thought it was just going to you know be something that my Twitter followers would would, you know, chuckle at and, you know, get a few retweets and it blew up. It went it went bananas. It um, <laughs> I mean, after I tweeted it. Within about, I want to say within about a five minutes, it had a thousand retweets. <laughs> no, not not a thousand. No, it had like it had like a it had over a thousand views. I think within a couple minutes, and then um, after about an hour, I think it had done about twenty thousand views. Within a couple hours, hundred thousand. By the time I went to bed, it was up to three hundred thousand, and it just it went super crazy viral. It was getting retweeted all over the country all over the USA and all these different countries. I was seeing people, um, you know, commenting on it in Japanese and in Portuguese and <laughs> Arabic <laughs> and all these different languages. So it just started penetrating all these different spheres of Twitter um, and got retweeted by some, you know, massive accounts that have over a million followers. And then, um, so that was kind of the initial wave. And then, you know, the following day, I started getting contacted by all these journalists and media companies and people wanting to interview me <laughs> and it uh yeah it it went more than viral uh last week i mean it was joe rogan talked about it yeah. on, on his podcast and he shouted out and shouted me out and followed me on twitter and sent me a dm as well um tucker carlson on fox news talked about it i had an interview on the ben shapiro show um it was just covered by all these pundits and media organizations and things like that i mean i i've got friends all over the world and i had i had friends i grew up with in um because i i used to live in saudi arabia and i have lots of friends from canada and america and lots of other places and lots of them were like yeah man i just i saw you on the news and <laughs> or i was listening to lots of people you know said oh, i was listening to joe rogan's podcast and i heard him shout you out and i was like wait hang on i know that guy um <laughs> So yeah, the reaction to it has been way beyond, far beyond what I possibly predicted. I mean, I, I I tweet a lot of stuff, so it was just another tweet to me. It wasn't like okay, this one is the this is the master tweet. It was just like another tweet, 
and yeah, the response to it has been has been very funny. But it's cool. It's brought it's introduced so many more people to my music and yeah. my actual work. So in a lot of ways, I think it's I think it was good timing because obviously I've been um I've been building my career and creating content for ten years. So I think a lot of people a lot of people came. I mean, people were literally commenting this. If you go on YouTube, there's so many comments on this saying, uh, I came for the deadlift, but I stayed for the music. <laughs> so lots of people, you know, they saw the deadlift thing and came over and then they were like, oh, oh, this guy's a rapper. Oh, OK. Oh, his music's actually cool. You know, so it was it's a bit of a backdoor method. Yeah. But it brought a lot of people who have now become genuine fans of what I do and who are now following me and listening to the podcast and checking out the album, as you said you were. So, yeah, it's been um, it's been good. And. Overall, you know, in terms of the in terms of the actual thing that I was pointing out, I think, you know, I mean, that is a, I didn't realize how big of a conversation and debate is going on around that at the moment. Yeah. So it's kind of like I've now been I've now been pulled into that whole conversation and debate a lot more than I necessarily anticipated. But, you know, it is something that I, I think is is genuinely important. So I'm happy to lend my voice to that as well. Did you have a big opinion or point of view um, on the topic or was it was it more of a, a joke when you did it or did it just kind of grow into something you weren't expecting? Um, like how involved were you in the conversation prior to that incident? Um, privately, quite a lot, because for the past couple of years, it's something that I've kept a little bit of an eye on um, mm-hmm. and I have seen in various sports from MMA to weightlifting to um, athletics, lots of different sports. I have seen these different situations where uh, wrestling as well, these different situations where either at high school or even at professional levels where you are getting, you know, biological males claiming to be or saying that they are female and then competing with and in many cases utterly destroying um, the girls or women that they're competing with, um, sometimes with dangerous effects, particularly, um, in MMA yeah. where you've had, um, what's that person's name? Fallon Fox, who I think cracked and cracked a woman's skull and ruptured an eye socket or something like that. And, you know, I, when, when it gets to that level, that's like, Whoa, hang on. Like this, this is, this is getting out of hand here. So my personal opinion on it is that it, it's. I think it's ridiculous to allow it. I don't think that it should be allowed, and I think that. I think that people need to be um, sense very sensible and objective with it, and just think of the science. You know, I think people are getting. It's something people get overly emotional about it without looking at the looking at the facts and just being rational and objective and keeping in mind what is actually fair. You know what I mean. Um, a lot of people try to skew, especially the more activist types who are really trying to push this stuff. They try to skew it as some sort of bigotry or hatred or transphobia or whatever terms they want to use to kind of try to be emotional and skew the debate, which is something that you know people do all the time. But I'm kind of a I'm kind of a master at flipping that one. Because and that was uh, the point of the post, <laughs> I, right? I, I, was was not even to draw a hard line in the sand, but just to bring recognition to the conversation and, and just say if we if we take it too extreme, it can it cannot make sense in some situations. Yeah, exactly. If if people want to say that somebody like myself should just be able to claim to be a woman and then I can go and powerlift against women or play rugby against them or whatever, um, I think anybody who is being sensible and reasonable would realize that's a bad idea and something that 
you know, shouldn't really be, a, certainly shouldn't be allowed at a professional level. Because the whole point of the video especially is that, um, you know, with, with that lift, like that was, I think that lift I did on the video, the one that went viral was about 30 pounds more than the British women's record in my weight class. But one that was still 100, you know, 100 pounds less than my maximum. And there are plenty of guys. I mean, I'm not even a competitive power lifter. Like, that's the point. You know, there are plenty of other guys who can lift significantly more than I can. So it's kind of like, look, I, I don't even compete. I'm not even a professional. And I can show up to the gym and break these records. I, I broke the bench press record as well. Um, huh. in fact, I did it for three, I did it for three reps too. So, <laughs> so that, you know, the point is just, uh, you know, cause people, people talk about these things very, um, what's the word, very theoretically and abstractly. They're like, Hmm, is there really advantage? How big is the advantage? Whatever. But as someone who's, who's been training for 15 years and has a very good understanding of, you know, the human body and strength potential, both in men and in women and all that kind of stuff. Like I'm very well, well versed in that. So I personally know that it's a very large difference, right? If you take the strongest guy in the gym and you take the strongest woman in the gym, it's not even going to be close. Like the, the guy might be literally like 60, 70, 80% stronger than her. You know, it's not like it's a tiny little 2% difference or something like that. So I think there are some people who are just genuinely naive about what the actual sort of numbers are and how big the difference is. Um, but then there are other people who I think recognize it, but they're just so worried about political correctness or not wanting to come across the wrong way that they don't really want to, they don't want to say anything or they want to pretend like they're not sure or whatever. And I'm, I'm, that's not me. I'm just like, look, this is, <laughs> this is the, these are the facts. This is the situation. Um, and yeah, I guess do, do with it as you wish, but you might want to think, you might want to think about the consequences of going ahead with this. Will this topic or incident get into your music in the future? You think you'll, have, you got, I mean, <laughs> this has got, it's got to be at least one song. <laughs> yeah. yeah it'll, it'll probably have a reference somewhere. I mean, it's got to just for, just for fun. <laughs> Great. Um, but with that, I think I don't, I'm trying to keep these episodes, you know, kind of punchy. So that's I think uh, we've captured, you know, a lot about your story, very inspiring work that you're working on. Um, where can people check you out online and where can they catch the music and all that good stuff? Absolutely. So my name is Zuby. That is Z-U-B-Y if you're in the UK, Z-U-B-Y if you're in the USA. You can find my music on all the major digital platforms. I'm on iTunes, Apple Music, Google Play, Spotify, Deezer, Tidal, Amazon, all of them. Just search my name, Zuby, Z-U-B-Y, and you can find me on there. If you'd like to uh, visit my website, it is zubimusic.com. You can get my merchandise at teamzubi.com, T-E-A-M-Zubi.com. And then on every single social media, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, it's just at Zuby Music. So I'm on all of those. You can also check out my podcast, which is called Real Talk with Zuby. And that is also on all those platforms, iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube. So check that out. Great. Well, Zuby, thanks again. Um, you got an awesome story and we really look forward to tracking you here over the rest of the year. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. I will not go pop. I will not go soft. When I say no means no. This is true hip hop. I do not flip flop. When I say flow mean flow. This is perseverance. This is perseverance. This is perseverance. This is perseverance. I will not go pop, I will not go soft when I say no means no. no. This is true hip hop, I do not flip flop when I say flow.